Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Fourth of July, Freedom Week. And as Tanya already mentioned, and, uh, and we talked about a little bit, we are here because we have the freedom to be here, and we don't have fear of persecution that way. And I am I'm hopeful that I, I love fireworks, and I'll, I'll tell you what, this is pretty cool. My, uh, my kids think that the whole country celebrates my birthday because it's on the 4th of July. And, and let me just tell you, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and, and I'm thankful to a country that would celebrate my birthday. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, uh, it, it's a great time because we have fireworks and we have cookouts and we have all the things that just as human beings, it's just kind of fun to be a part of. But as Tanya said, remember this week that we have freedom and that people paid for that freedom. And let's just celebrate the freedom that we have and, and how it was given to us. Can we do that? Uh, this week. And so uh, I pray that you would do that. Well, welcome to Northridge. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, for those of you here for the very first time, you've never been here before. This is kind of your first round uh, at Northridge and, and meeting and worshiping in a village center. Uh, the, we want to say welcome to you. And we want you to know that this is a safe place for you and your family, friends, anybody who's with you. This is a safe place, no matter where you're at with God. Maybe you've just started in a journey with God. Maybe you've been walking with God for a a long, long time. Uh, maybe uh, you're here and you're like, I don't know where I'm at with God. I don't know what I think about God. I don't know what I think about the Bible. I don't know what I think about any of this. That's cool. No matter where you're at with God, we look forward to answering the questions, the hard questions, difficult questions about your faith, about God, about his word, the Bible. And, and we hope that you will find that Jesus wants to be a part of your life and gives salvation for your life, and wants to just uh, be a part of everything that you do. Um, so we are in this series called Six Shifts, but before we get into that, I want to just ask you a question. Uh, those of you that are here, uh, have you um, ever asked somebody at work to do something? Maybe you asked them to send an email, or to help you with a project, or to do a project for you, or maybe you, those of you that are parents here, have you ever asked your children to go make their bed or clean their room or anything like that? And then you find that a few hours later or a day or two later that you find yourself worrying about whether or not that thing got done. And so you have to go back to that person and say, so did you ever do that? Anybody else ever have this experience or have people in their life? Careful, if you raise your hand, that person might be sitting next to you, all right? Right? Now let me ask you this, on the flip side of that, on the reverse side of that, have you ever uh, asked a person to do something, again, a project or to get something done, and you just completely, as soon as you asked that person to do it, you forgot about it because you knew you didn't have to worry about it? You have people in your life like that? Well, let me ask you the question this. What is the difference between those two things? What is the one word that causes you to either worry or to not worry when you hand something off to somebody? What is the one word that changes the situation for you? That's right. It's the word trust. It's how much you can trust what's going to happen. Well, the reason I bring that up is today we're going to get into this next message in the six ships. And today the story is all about trust. It's all about faith. It's all about being able to trust God in what he says and what Laura just mentioned about him being a good, good father. That he not only knows us, 
but has the best in mind for us. And so I'm going to read the story here this morning. It's about a boat and Jesus and his disciples. And so I'm going to read the story, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to look at different parts of this story. So very similar to what a lot of times we like to do, but we're going to learn some very important key things out of this about trust and about faith in God. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, if you like to go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start with verse 22. One day, Jesus and his disciples said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. Must have been Sunday afternoon, I suppose. But soon a first storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke Jesus up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? We could say, trust. The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man, they asked each other, when he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. So from this story, we're going to learn four things that you and I, that we as human beings can trust if you choose to walk with God in this life, if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to follow Christ, if you choose to surrender your life to him, there are four things that you can trust are going to be true about your life and about God and about your faith. Four things that we're going to learn from this story. The first one is that we can trust that God is with us. We can trust that God is always with us. If you go back to the story, this is an obvious part of the story, but look back at verse 22 and how this story begins. The story begins with Jesus saying, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus didn't say, you guys go across the other side of the lake. I have some stuff for you to do. He said, let's cross. Jesus says, let's get into this boat. They get into this fishing boat and they go into the lake and they cross together. Right? So Jesus went with them. And now let me just tell you that when God calls you to do something, and by the way, he always will, there's always going to be something that he's going to ask you to do. When God asks you to do something, God will automatically, it's a part of the deal, he's going to go with you. Now, partly we understand this because he's omnipresent, right? God is everywhere, literally everywhere. And so we know that God goes with us. But I'm just telling you that not only is he omnipresent, like we can understand that in belief and theology, he's going to be there. But I mean, he's going to be there with you. He's there to support you. He's there to pray for you, intercede for you. He's there with you, just like Jesus was with the disciples. In fact, if you think about the Christmas story, I know it's weird to bring it up in July. Almost July, right? But if you think about the Christmas story, what was one of the names that God made sure that you and I need to remember Jesus by? It's a name that we usually only hear at Christmas. But you remember that name? He was known as Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? If you look at the literal translation of Emmanuel, in fact, God tells us this in the Christmas story. Emmanuel means God with us. Literally, God is 
amongst us. God will always be with us. That's the first thing that we can trust in this story. The second thing that we can trust is that our faith will be tested. That turns a corner, doesn't it? You can trust when you walk with God that your faith will be tested. Absolutely. And the disciples had that experience, didn't they? Go back to verse 23. What did it say? It said, as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. Great timing, right? But soon a first storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. Now, I want us to understand a couple of things. Remember that these guys are probably in a very small fishing boat. Okay, this is not like a huge ship that they're in. They're not in this massive, massive vessel. They're probably in a little fishing boat. And the fishing boats that were made during Jesus' day, they only sat a few inches above the top of the water. They were not big. They were not like these big, deep-walled kind of things. They were very flat and open, and they had the sail because they needed them to kind of glide across the water. They needed to be able to steer them fairly quickly because the Sea of Galilee is a lake, but it's not a huge lake by a lot of lake standards. And so they're in a small fishing boat. And so the storm comes in, as it often does on the Sea of Galilee, and it comes over the hills, and it comes on them very quickly. And notice what it says. It says that they were in real danger. The boat was filling with water. How many of you like to see a boat that fills with water when you're in the middle of a lake? How fun is that, right? How many of you are like, ooh, look, we got a lot of water in here. This is going to be fun, right? No, I don't think so. It's a scary thing because you know that the more water that gets in there, the worse it's going to be, and eventually it's going to sink, and that's what's happening. They can't keep the water out of the boat. The waves and the wind are just battering them, and they're in real danger. Now, you have to understand that th this is not the disciples being wimpy or weak, right? This is not like, ooh, we're just scared, Ooh, this is, it wasn't like, ooh, there's a little spitting rain on them and they're just freaking out. This is, they were in real danger. They knew that they were about to drown. They were in real danger. They're scared for their lives. In fact, they are so scared for their lives that they need to wake Jesus up. And by now they know, like, you shouldn't mess with Jesus, right? My kids know, man, when I fall asleep, and it's rare during the day, but if dad falls asleep, we probably shouldn't wake that guy up. He is not kind when he gets woken up, right? He's like a bear. And, that, and that's, and that's kind of true. It's probably because I only take like four naps a year, right? Because I, I just don't sleep during the day. And so when I do, man, I am exhausted. And so they wake Jesus up, and they're so scared they wake Jesus up. And, and what's interesting is the storm is raging, and they're scared, and they're in this boat, and they're about to drown, and Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping. He's napping. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like God is silent in your life? Have you ever felt like you can't hear God? Maybe you feel that way all the time. Do you ever feel like God is sleeping? That you're crying out to him and you're saying, God, this is bothering me. This is horrible. This is taking me, this is destroying me, and, and it feels like your prayer hits the ceiling and comes back down to you. Does it ever feel like God is just, maybe he's there, but I'm not sure, or he's just silent, he's quiet, I don't know. You ever feel that way? I think the disciples felt that way. 
The storm's raging. They're about to drown. The boat is going to sink. And Jesus is just there, just going, I don't know if he snored, but you understand. But he's just, he's out. And, and the disciples, in fact, let me tell you that this story is told in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark as well, in addition to the book of Luke that we just read out of. And in the book of Mark, it's recorded that when the disciples wake Jesus up, you know what the question is that they asked? Now, in, the, in, in Luke, it was a little bit different, right? They said, hey, master, master, we're going to drown. It's like a statement. But in the book of Mark, it's recorded as a question. You know what the question is? Disciples wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? That's a little bit more powerful question, isn't it? Do you ever wonder if God cares? Have you ever thought that? I bet you have. I have. Have you ever questioned whether or not God really cares, not maybe about the world in general or about whatever, but does God care for you like who you are? And what's going on in your life? Does God really care? Or is he just sleeping? I think that's what the disciples felt in this moment. But the truth is, our faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. It's not a question if. When Laura and I moved here to Dane County, uh, we were following God's call on our life. It was, I can tell you, this is, I'm being very honest about this. It was as clear as Jesus physically there with the disciples saying to them, let's cross the lake. It was as clear to me and to Laura uh, that we had heard from God and God said, you are going to move to Dane County and you're going to plant a church, a new church. The only difference was we didn't have to cross a lake. We had to cross North Dakota and Minnesota and part of Wisconsin. And instead of a boat, we used a moving truck. A terrible one at that, by the way. I won't tell you what company we use, but man, don't rent from them. (laughs) But we used a moving truck, and we came here, and we were following God's call to come to Dane County, Wisconsin, and plant a church. We didn't know where. We didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) We still don't. (laughs) It's all good. We, we came not knowing, and so we were following God's call. But let me just tell you that our faith, we didn't realize, was going to be tested. Because we got through church planning assessment. That was a miracle. I'm not going to go into that story. I think I've shared that once before on a Sunday. Okay, that was a miracle that we got through that. But we got through church planning assessment. So we move here. We're, uh, we've, we've been given the okay to come here and do this. And so we move here and we're here. And part of the deal was when we moved here from the district, from the denomination that was supporting us, is they said, we'll keep you afloat financially, but you have to find a job when you get here. So we're going to keep you going for a little while. But then as soon as you get here, like the first order of business is you find a job. And then you can also continue to start this work of starting this church. But you have to support yourselves. Totally fine. We were totally cool with that. The problem was we got here and we took that first week, you know, to get unloaded and kind of get settled and all kinds of stuff that first few days. And then I started going out and I started filling out applications and I started looking for a job. And, and I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, because God called us here. This is going to be great. He's going to line it up. It's going to be a cush job where I just sit there and like manage people. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't think that. Totally kidding. I didn't think that. But I did think, coming in, God called us. God's paving the way. Here we go. The lake's going to be calm. It's going to be sweet. You know what? First few, few weeks, I was like, okay, maybe not as easy as I thought. A couple months go by. I'm starting to kind of wonder. Three, 
four months go in, and I'm starting to feel like I can't do anything. Five. Going to the sixth month. It took six months for me to find a job. And I'm talking, about, I'm, I'm talking about applications, and I couldn't even get in the door. I couldn't even get an interview. That's how good I can do, guys. <laughs> I can't even get an interview. And, and I'll be, I'm, I'm making fun of it now, but at the time, it was not fun. <laughs> I really, honestly, as a man and as a person who needed to support my family, I felt like a squash bug. I, that's the honest truth. Those of you that have lost jobs and gone through this, you, you know what the feeling is like. It's like, man, I'm, I'm not worth anything. I began, I'll, I'll be honest, I began to question myself. I began to question God. I began to question that call that was so clear. Like God said, you're going to Dan County, you're going to plant a church. And I began to question, not like seriously, like God is not there and God's not good. I didn't kind of get to that level. But I started to doubt. I started to wrestle. I started to want to say, God, are you sleeping there's a storm here. You remember? I'm, I need to have a job. Like, there's no church. What are you doing? You got us here. I'm here. Let's go. And I started to, and it really, it tested our faith. Laura and I had many conversations in those six months, especially the end of those six months, those last three, four, five, six months. It's hard. Your faith will be tested when you walk with God. Whether it's from the devil who wants to get you away from God or whether it's ourselves just doubting. Our faith will be tested. There will be times when we hit times in our lives where we go, God, are you there? We can trust that our faith will be tested. Just like people in the Bible, David. Think of David. Think of Moses. Think of Daniel. Think of all of the disciples. Every one of them, their faith was tested very intensely. So we can trust that our faith will be tested, but we can also trust that God will always be there. Third thing that we can trust, we can trust that God is in control. We can always trust that God is in control. Even though it doesn't always seem that way, we can trust that he is. Go back to verse 24 and re- look at this part of the story. The disciples went and woke Jesus up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Or according to the book of Mark, how, or, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Now I want to ask you a question. Theologically, what we know of Jesus, what we know of God, let me ask you this question. Could Jesus have stopped the storm before they woke him up? The answer is yes. Jesus can snore and stop storms at the same time if he needs to. I can't walk and chew gum, but Jesus can definitely do that, right? Jesus can do that. Let me ask you this. Could Jesus have stopped the weather pattern before it started like the day before? Yep, he could have. Could Jesus have said, you know what? We're going to actually go across the lake a few hours early because there's this storm. You guys don't know about it, but it's going to barrel down and it's going to scare the craziness out of you. All right? And, and so we're going to go early or we're going to wait a little while. We're going to cook some brats, shoot a couple of fireworks off, and then we're going to go across the lake. Could Jesus have waited on the timing? Sure, Jesus could have done any of that, couldn't he? He could have done any of that. It's very possible. He can do anything. The point is, 
that even though the disciples thought that Jesus was not in control, he was in control the whole time. Didn't seem like it, but he was in control the whole time. In fact, let me make this really practical. Let me go back to the story of Laura and I. So we're here, six months. Takes six months to get that job. Can I tell you what happened at the end of that? This is really cool. At the end of that, and I won't go into the whole story, but miraculously, God dropped a job in our lap. Okay? I, I won't get, again, I won't go into the detail, but essentially, God put Laura in a place with another gal in a place where she had never been and never would be again, as I understand it anyway, I'm not sure. But I don't think she went ever, even after this time. And Laura and her start talking. They share their stories. And Laura shares our story, why we, were moving, why we moved to Dane County and that I couldn't find a job. She was probably like, my husband. I mean, let me tell you about him. <laughs> no, I'm sure she wasn't. She, my wife is awesome. But she was just sharing the story. We couldn't find a job. We couldn't get this. And guess what she says? She says, you know what? My husband is getting ready to hire somebody. And she explains the company, all kind of stuff. And so she, I was gone. I was on a recruiting trip uh, to, to, you know, for people for the church and all kind of stuff. And, and so she calls and says, hey, here's his name and his number and all kind of stuff. And, and so, okay, I'll, I'll call him. What's the name of the company? And I was like, okay, I've never heard. What do they do? I kid you not. After she explained it, I had no idea what they did. None. Zero. I was like, yeah, this is not going to go well. <laughs> Thank you, God. You're hilarious, right? And so I call him. I'll just fast forward the story, do the interview. I explain what I'm here to do, that this is just temporary. He says, sounds good. I was like, really? <laughs> I just told you I have no clue what I'm going to do. I will work my tail off for you because I am a hard worker, but I have no clue what I'm doing. I mean, none. And I'm here to plant a church, so this is just temporary. You're not going to have me for, you know, for years. Yep, sounds good. Really? Yep, okay. And I got hired on. Now, let me just tell you why this is amazing. God put me into that role for many reasons, one of which, and this is cool, I didn't know if they were going to hear. Uh, Joel, just wave your, wave your hand. This is Joel Roosman right there in the green. Okay? I didn't know if he was going to be here today. This is awesome. Joel... And his wife, Rachel, and Rachel's family and a lot of their family are now all integral parts of Northridge as a result of that job. I would not know them, right? I would not know you. I would not know you. <laughs> I would not know them if it weren't for God dropping somebody in Laura's lap who wrote her husband's name and number down and called me and me going, are you kidding me? There's no way on this side of heaven that this is ever going to work out. And it does. And then I work. And not only that, but they hired me part-time and then they hired me on full-time and then let me pair it back as the church got going. They were so good. You can't imagine how gracious they were to me. And we know an entire family, an extended family, just because of how God dropped one thing. Even when I felt like everything was out of control, God said, you have no idea. You have no idea what I want to do. And I've learned, and I have a long way to go, that we can trust God. Even when the storm seems to be out of control and messing us up. Even when we don't feel worthy, 
we can trust that God is in control. Fourth thing that we can trust. We can trust to be terrified and amazed at God's power. We can trust to both be terrified and amazed. Know that I didn't typo that, right? I didn't mess that up. We can be both terrified and amazed. Remember when Jesus stands up or or gets up and he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and he basically says, stop, and everything's calm? This is what it says the disciples were right after that. Did you notice this? The disciples were what? Terrified and amazed. When you come face to face with God's direction and God's power and God's grace and God's love and God's joy in your life, it will both be amazing and also in many ways terrifying because of the power that he has. Can you imagine being in that boat? It's hard to imagine, right, for us because we've never seen anything quite like this. But can you imagine the disciples in the boat and Jesus just gets up and he basically tells the storm to quit? I mean, can you, you've, seen, you've seen some of the storms that we've had the last few days, right? And, the, and these huge banks of cloud. I've seen some of you post pictures on Facebook on this, right? And, and these huge banks of cloud that are coming in just dark. And what if Jesus says, you, no, that way? How amazing would that be? Terrifying and amazing all at the same time that he has this kind of power. Now, I want to turn the corner for just a minute, and I want to answer the question of why this story is even really important and why it's amazing. Really, I want to ask the question of why did Jesus all of a sudden, at that moment, at that time, say, hey guys, let's cross the lake. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't want to just have a random fishing trip, right? Or sleeping trip, apparently. Right? That's, that's not what it was. There was a reason why Jesus wanted them to cross the lake at that moment. Well, I want to connect the dots as to the power of this story. And it's the why Jesus took them across the lake. It's why they faced the storm. It's why they went at that moment in time. I want to read the next two verses right after this little story that I read. These are the next two verses. I'm not going to read much more than this. There's a whole story after this. But let me read just the next two verses. This is what happens. Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 26. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. So they hit the shore on the other side. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat. So he's literally not even out of the boat yet. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. Now, I don't know about you, but you're probably sitting here going, that's a strange way to end a uh, sermon on trust. (laughs) That's weird. I get it. But the question becomes, again, why did Jesus cross the lake with his disciples and face that storm at that time? And there's two reasons, really. In fact, before I tell you that, let me tell you what happens after this moment. So this demon-possessed man comes up all crazy. He doesn't have any clothes on. He's naked. And the reason is because he's so possessed that he cannot physically do these things. He cannot hold a normal life at all. And so this demon-possessed man comes up raving and raging and whatever he does. And that's why he had to live apart from the town. He could not be a part of his family or anything like that. So he comes up raging and doing all this stuff. And Jesus casts the demons out of the man and into this herd of pigs. 
That's just, I'm just telling you, that's what happens. And so all of a sudden, the guy is like back to normal, right? He, he's kind of back to himself, he's in his right mind like that. Jesus says the words, boom, just like, just like the storm. And so this guy is healed. And now this is a big deal because this guy was struggling to survive, was struggling to live his life. There's probably no way that this guy could really even find food and, and it was just whatever he could scrounge up, whatever he could find. Nobody's going to be around this guy because he's dangerous. And so Jesus goes up and he heals this guy and, and he sends this guy back so that he now has freedom. He now has a normal life. He can now be a part of his family again. I mean, imagine going from not having any life at all to getting your entire life back. Jesus did that, did that in an instant for this guy. One reason why Jesus crossed the lake, it was for one life, one person. Jesus made the disciples fear that they were going to drown and face that storm and cross that lake at that moment to save one person. One person. A person that everybody else had forgotten about and wanted nothing to do with, by the way. But there's a second reason why Jesus crossed the lake. The second reason is this guy, let me tell you what happens. So he heals this guy and, and, and this guy wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He's like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you everywhere. And that would be awesome, right? That makes sense. Like, okay, now he's like Jesus' right-hand man. Cool transformation story. He becomes a pastor. They start preaching in a village center. It's amazing, right? What a cool story. That would be a cool story. But Jesus, when, when the guy begs him and says, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be physically with you. Jesus says, no, I need you to go back to your family and live your life. And I want you to tell your story. I want you to tell them what I just did for you. Tell them that Jesus saves. Tell them that Jesus gives you freedom. And guess what? This area is known as the Gentile area. What does that mean? It means it was not Hebrews. It was not Jewish people. And so this group, this area, the fact, remember, Jesus is Jewish. All the disciples are Jewish. And they just climb out of the boat into this Gentile area. This is, you don't do that. You don't go to that area of town. You don't go to that region. These people, they are segregated. You do not, they hated each other. It was a law that the Jews should not go into the Gentiles' homes and the Gentiles do not go into their homes. Like it was a, not only was it a thing, it was a law. You do not do it. And Jesus took them into this area where nobody else, nobody else in his culture would go. And this one man is going to spread his story, not to his family, but to the entire region. So guess what happens? Jesus dies on the cross, rose from the grave, ascends to heaven. And then what does he do? He sends the disciples out. And when the disciples end up in this region, you know what happens? The Gentiles we find in the, in the book of Acts, the Gentiles become they, they, they start accepting Jesus in droves, in just hundreds and thousands. Part of the reason is because Jesus planted one seed by crossing a lake and healing a demon-possessed man, giving him freedom. And that story spread everywhere. The truth is that God wants to use your story. Did you realize that? Some of you don't realize, some of you think you don't have a good enough story. I feel that way too. 
I, because, you know, I didn't have this dramatic story that came from, you know, this, and I was once this, and I was horrible, and all these things, and I was, you know, all, and, and then God transformed me in this one magical, amazing moment, and I've heard those stories. I have friends that have those transformation stories, and I don't know about you, but when I hear those stories, I'm like, wow, God did an amazing, miraculous work in your life. I'm not saying that he didn't in mine, because he did. I needed salvation just like anybody else. But I'm saying, I hear these stories. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. And then I hear my story. I'm like, wow, yours is really boring. (laughs) That's the honest truth. And let me just tell you, though, that God wants to use your story. He does. He wants to use your story. He wants to use your story to impact people for Christ. He wants to use your story to show people that God loves them, that God has always loved them, that God will always love them. He wants to use your story to do that. It's not a question of if, it's a question of how. But here's the key. God needs you to trust him. He needs you to cross the lake, or in my case, he needs you to cross a couple of Midwest states in a moving truck. It might mean that you need to go to a neighbor that you know you need to share Jesus with. And you don't have to walk up and be like, hey, my pastor just told me I need to share Jesus. So do you know Jesus? That's not going to go well. But you certainly can bring up what you do on Sunday. You certainly can bring up where your hope comes from. You certainly can share some of the times that you've struggled in life and how God got you through. You certainly can share that, should share that. But we need to trust God to do that, don't we? Because it's hard to bring those things up. It's hard to cross the lake. It's hard to go through the storm. But the key is trust. No matter whether we're doing good or whether we're going through something that's very difficult, the key is that we trust. Kind of like this woman that I want you to see this video. Her name is Jordan. Take a look at her story. The first 10 years of my life were incredibly challenging um, because when I was 18 months old, I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. So the doctors decided that the only way I was truly going to be able to survive was amputating my left leg. Since I was diagnosed with cancer at such a young age and the treatment that I was given really takes a toll on your body and a lot of women can't have children after that and I was one of those women. For the first time in my life, I think it hit me, and uh, I really understood that I was going to be missing out on something that I had dreamed about my entire life. I was always afraid that no man would accept me in a way that a wife wants to be accepted physically, you know, intimately. That was a huge deal for me because I was now dating this man who we were talking about marriage and looking at him and knowing that I lacked something that he wanted was detrimental to the way that I saw myself. My husband and I were married, and on the fourth month, I took a pregnancy test, and I was pregnant. In the fifth month of my pregnancy, I was told by a doctor that I had a heart condition that was um, critical, and that if I did not abort my child, that it would claim my life. I have never felt so confused, so bitter, so afraid in that moment because I was terrified. I didn't want to die. 
and this was my child, and I knew that it was my duty to protect her the way that the Lord had sheltered me and protected me for so long against everything that the world had thrown at me. And so we decided that we were keeping Ellie, my daughter, even if that meant me not being alive. We were going to trust God every single minute of every day. You know, the months follow and I get bigger and bigger and Ellie kicks stronger and stronger and uh, we have her and she's healthy and it was wonderful. It was the most amazing day of my life because I saw a miracle that I was told would never happen come true. And then two days later, I was trying to go to sleep and I felt like I was suffocating. And so I called my doctor and she said, you need to come in right now. She looked at me and she said, Jordan, you're going into heart failure. I felt like the rug was being pulled out from underneath me. I had this beautiful child, I have this home, I have this husband, and now it's gone. Me being able to watch her grow into the woman that I wanted was gone. And I remember I was at church one Sunday and I was feeling weak and I just threw my hands up and I said, are you listening to me? Do you hear me? I am asking you for help and you are silent. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm gonna keep allowing things to happen until you trust me. Are we there yet? And about two weeks ago, I was sitting on this couch and I got a phone call from a doctor and he said, Jordan, your heart is healing and we don't know why. And now I feel like I'm at the place in my life where I've seen too much of him to not trust him. I feel like he's brought me to a place of surrender, of peace, that my trust looks a lot like that. It looks a lot like surrender. I trust him because I know him. Trust. Now, I want you to understand something. What I'm about to say is going to be hard, but it's true. This is not a sermon, trust God, and the end of the story works out perfect. I don't want to give you that idea. That's not how it works. All four things that I just talked about are true, but... It doesn't always work out that the end of the story is just like what Jordan said, where, yeah, everything works out like we want it to. Sometimes it's like a 39-year-old mom who dies of brain cancer, who leaves a husband and three young children behind. With a family that was praying for her like crazy. That's a storm that actually does end up by taking the life. I know that woman because that woman was my aunt, my mom's little sister. And I remember how powerfully and how powerfully still to this day it affects us. She passed at 39 years old. That's two years younger than me. This is not a sermon where you trust God and he gives you the end of the story that you need. 
that you want. But I will tell you that the four things that I told you are true. You can trust that God is always with you. You can trust that your faith will be tested. You can trust that God is always, always in control. Always. And you can trust to both be terrified, but also amazed at God's power. God wants to do amazing things with you, through you. But I can tell you that the key, just like we started this message, remember the question I asked about those people in your life that you can trust? That's what God is looking for from you. He's looking for that deep faith, the roots that go so deep that God knows I can trust them. They will follow me no matter what. So I'm going to ask you one question. It's actually the question I didn't have to come up with. It. It's Jesus' question. It's Jesus' question to the disciples in that story. And the question is, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where's your hope? Where's your trust? Where's your direction for life? Where's your faith?